The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let us pray. Dear God, we come before you, and we just thank you um, just for your nearness to us. That even before we acknowledge you, you are always um, in our midst, and you're always speaking to us and working things out for our good. So I pray that today that you tune our minds and our hearts to what you may be speaking to us through Randall. I pray that the Spirit just speaks through him. Um, Lord, that it's your words and your truth and your love for us that we hear today. Be with us in this time. In your name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Byron. All right, good morning. Okay, so we're going to continue our series, uh, Who We Are, and we are wrapping up Uh, the core values of who we are as a church, and today our message is going to be on God's kingdom, God's kingdom. Now, if you're just joining us today, welcome. Uh, We're glad you're here, and over uh, the past, really, month and a half, we've been going over uh, who we are as a church, and and so we started out that first week talking about the gospel, and that we are a gospel-centered church. We focus on what Jesus has done for us. Uh, The next week, we talked about the Holy Spirit. And then we talked about family and how God has made us a family in Christ. Uh, Then we talked about mission and that we weren't just saved into a family, but we were sent out on mission. We have a purpose. And last week we talked about rhythms, right? So it's like, like how do I live out the mission of God in my everyday life? Um, And today we're going to be talking about kingdom, kingdom. Now we've been studying the book of Galatians, and um, if you miss any of the messages from this series, you can go check them out online, on podcasts, any of that, and we would encourage you to do that. But how many of you have been here every week of the series, Who We Are? You can just raise your hand real quick. Right on. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm glad you guys are here, and like two people clap for you. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I was one of them. <laughs> I was one of them, but I'm glad you were here. Um, And so today when we talk about kingdom, here's what we're talking about. It's the idea that wherever we're at right now in life, you need a king. I need a king. We're all searching for a king. Like, why are we here this morning? Right. Why, why would we come here and, and sing these songs and, and read this book? It's because whether we believe or not that this is true, that Jesus rose from the dead, there's something that haunts us, isn't there? That there's something more than what we see? Because the way that the world has really shaped up in the way that we live right now, all we believe is that there's just a natural world. It's just what we can see, what we can touch, what we can feel. It's live for right now. But there's something that does haunt us with that because we we think when we get past the veneer of it, 
There has to be something more than that. Right, because Nietzsche proclaimed, God is dead, and we've killed him, right? So, so what do we do to comfort ourselves after we've killed God? Is that it? Or is it not just the imminent frame of just the natural, but there's something transcendent, there's a supernatural. There's another kingdom. There's an eternal kingdom that lasts forever with a king that our hearts have always longed for. Could it be that there's a place like that? My wife has been watching uh, the show The Crown and uh, so, you know, watching it, it's a very acclaimed show right now. Um, a lot of people are watching it. And so as she's watching that, I'm, I'm inspired. I'm like, okay, this royalty kick, I get it. And so uh, I watched the, Crown, uh, the Queen with her, which was a movie that came out in 2006. And, and it's all about the, the royal family in England and the struggles that they face and being royalty and what I found was there was this tension, this tension all throughout the series, all throughout the movie, The Queen, and it's this tension of living as royalty, yet trying to relate to everyday average people. It's the queen in her palace trying to relate to common people. And what I found was that the longer that royalty are in the palace, the more distant and cold they can become. And in a lot of ways, when we think about God, that's, that's really how we've thought about God, isn't it? Like he's in a king, you know, he's a king somewhere, Distant place, royalty. Yeah, he's got this kingdom. But I don't know if I can relate much to that. But what we're missing from all of that is the gospel. See, the gospel is that the king came down. The king came to be like you and me. And the king came and invited us and said, I want you to be in the castle with me. See, that, that's the kingdom of God. God says, I'm not a distant king, but I'm a humble king. A, a humble king who comes near to you and me. See, Jesus is the king we've been searching for our whole lives. At the beginning of Grace City, it was easy for me to get caught up in the things I could see. Here's the tangible things I could hold on to. And what happened was, I, I, you know, many times I, I got discouraged. I said, Man, this is all, this, this is it. Like, I, I don't know how we're going to make it. And I would just get discouraged. And I remember one night or, uh, after a service, um, just kind of sitting in my backyard uh, by myself and thinking to myself, Am I wasting people's time? Am I wasting people's time? 
You know, the only thing that could get me through was knowing that there was something more. Something bigger than I could see. And that's really where God came in and says, Randall, it's not just the things you can see, but it's the unseen. There's a kingdom beyond what you can see, Randall. Snap out of it. And so I remember writing in my journal, and just writing this, God is writing his story through Grace City. God is writing his story through Grace City. And the question I asked myself was this, okay, if God's kingdom is so important, and if, if God's really the king, then Randall, is God's story that he's writing good enough for you? Is it good enough? Or are you wanting something more than what he's giving? See, what this is about is saying, okay, this is God's kingdom over my little kingdom. See, God's kingdom is so much more expansive than the one that I have in my mind. And what this looks like is that, you ever seen those decals, he is greater than I? That's what it is, that he's greater than me. See, many times the temptation is that I want to be the king of my life. I want to be in control. I want to know what's happening and how it's going to happen. But there is a king, and he's the one that knows all those things. And he's the one that I listen to and say, okay, what's next? See, Jesus, the king, came down, and he came down to save us from ourselves. Save us from these small, little, momentary kingdoms that we buy into every day. See, one man who knew about kingdoms rising and falling was Napoleon Bonaparte. And here's what he said, particularly about Jesus. He says, I marvel that whereas the ambitious dreams of myself, Caesar, and Alexander should have vanished into thin air, a Judean peasant, Jesus, should be able to stretch his hands across the centuries and control the destinies of men and nations. That's a true king. That's an eternal king. That's the lasting king. See, our church, at the end of the day, is all about God's kingdom. It's about what he wants to do. It's not about our little kingdom. It's about his eternal kingdom. The word kingdom appears in the New Testament 157 times. And Jesus taught about the kingdom of God throughout his earthly life. During that time, uh, everyone thought that the kingdom that Jesus was referring to was an earthly political kingdom. Yeah, Jesus, we're going to get what we want. A kingdom where he would overthrow the Roman government and the Jewish people would, would be elevated and honored. But when Jesus was speaking about the kingdom of God, he was offering them and us something much bigger than what we have in our minds. See, he was inviting all people from every nation into an everlasting kingdom. A kingdom not where we're in charge and we're in control, but where God is. See, this is all about God. It's his kingdom. 
It's the vision the apostle John describes in Revelation 7-9 when he says, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This is a breathtaking visual. And it's true. It's real. According to Pew Research Center, Christianity is the most evenly dispersed religious group in the world. The kingdom of God is vibrantly multi-ethnic and the kingdom is filled with people who know that they're sinners, who know that they're messy, yet have been cleaned up and forgiven by God through his grace, through his mercy on our lives. See, this is, we're not, the kingdom of God is not filled with prideful people saying, look at me and be like me. It's filled with humble people saying, I couldn't have made it if it wasn't for him. That's it. That's the kingdom of God. Brennan Manning illustrates it like this in his work, The Ragamuffin Gospel. He says, the kingdom is not an exclusive, well-trimmed suburb with snobbish rules about who can live there. No, it is for a larger, homelier, less self-conscious cast of people who understand they are sinners because they have experienced the yaw and pitch of moral struggle. God's kingdom is a reality where Jesus is king and he reigns. And George Eldon Ladd defines the kingdom of God as the realm in which God's reign may be experienced. May be experienced. See, the kingdom is the already, but not yet. Like already in the sense that Jesus is king. He is Lord. Yet you still look around and you think, well, it doesn't look like it. But it's the not yet. There is a second coming. The Lord is coming, and he is going to make all things new and make all things right. See, we're, we're people of the kingdom waiting in anticipation for when he makes that triumphal entry. See, we can experience parts of the kingdom, but this isn't it. This isn't it. As Jesus spoke about his kingdom, he told us about two current kingdoms operating in our world right now. And they are at odds with one another. They're at odds with one another. Luke 6, 17 through 26, Jesus talks about these kingdoms. And here's how he breaks it down. Basically, he says there's the now kingdom, and then there's the true kingdom. And here's what the now kingdom looks like. The now kingdom is all about my power, my recognition, it's filled with pride, comfort, selfishness. What are the ways of the true kingdom? Sacrifice, weakness, tears, meekness, selflessness. It's what I've heard J.I. Packer call weakness is the way. I mean, when you think about it, you think, well, which one sounds more appealing right now? Doesn't the now kingdom sound so much more appealing? Because you look around and you say, well, those are the people who are really winning in this world. But Jesus says, that only lasts for a short time. 
And what I'm calling you to is a way that people might look at you or scoff or laugh, but that's the way that life was meant to be. See, let's be honest. We're attracted to the now kingdom, aren't we? We want instant gratification. I mean, it's like when my kids uh, watch television and they see the commercials that come on about that new toy that's coming out. And they're like, that, Daddy, you got to get me that now. I want that now, now. Like, you, you got to go to the store and get Like, when's my next birthday? Dad. <laughs> and I remember talking to my kids and saying, okay, I'm going to gather you guys up. I'm going to let you collectively talk about this. We just, you, all of you wanted that thing. Now tell me what it was. Tell me what that thing was. Well, um, what does it do? I don't know. It just looks cool. Okay, like th- that's it. That's what we've done, isn't it? Like we've, we've convinced ourselves that we need that thing now, but we really don't know what it does. It just looks cool. Instant gratification. See, as more research comes out, what we're finding is that the now kingdom, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Recently, uh, leadership expert Simon Sinek did an interview, which went viral on Facebook. I'm sure many of you have seen it, but it's about the fallout of our now generation. And he blames it on, well, failed parenting strategies. Right? It's just all the parents' fault. They just wanted to give them more stuff, so it's just all their fault. But I believe the problem is much deeper. Here's what he says in the video. He says, the generation that is called the millennials were told they were special all the time. They were told they can have anything they want in life just because they want it. Some of them got into honors classes not because they deserved it, but because their parents complained. Some of them got A's not because they earned them, but because the teachers didn't want to deal with the parents. Some kids got participation medals. They got a medal for coming in last. You take this group of people, they graduate, they get a job, and they're thrust into the real world, and in an instant, they find out they are not special, their moms can't get them the promotion, that you get nothing for coming in last, and by the way, you can't just have it because you want it. In an instant, their entire self-image is shattered. The other problem to compound it is we are growing up in a Facebook, Instagram world. In other words, we are good at putting filters on things. We're good at showing people that life is amazing even though I'm depressed. The now kingdom, we're seeing the fallout of it. Right? I'm a parent. I know. I, I, I want the best things for my kids. But what I know is the best thing isn't to give them everything that they want. It's not this now kingdom mentality. It's to give them the true kingdom and say this is the true king. See, the now kingdom is what many of us have been brought up in all of our lives. It's the ways of the world. And the results are really damaging and disappointing. Many of us are starting to see past it and we're looking for something real. So we can resonate with people like Leo Tolstoy, who Russian author, um, in his book, A Confession, writes, he says, my question, that which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide, was the simplest of questions, lying in the soul of every man, a question without the answer to which one cannot live, 
It was, what will come of what I am doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? It can also be expressed thus. Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? I mean, I've been, I've been thinking about this all week. It's much like Solomon lamented in Ecclesiastes 1-2. He says, what's there to show for a lifetime of work? A lifetime of working your fingers to the bone. Is there a kingdom beyond this world? Is there something more? I remember when me and my wife were at the YMCA and we're in the stretching area. And there are some older guys right in front of us that are stretching and they're just talking. And, and we're just there and, and we're kind of hearing, overhearing their conversation is this older gentleman. And he said, you know, I, I got to the place in my life where I was about 50 years old and he said, I'm sitting in front of this lake. I mean, very openly talking with his friend. He says, I'm sitting in front of this lake thinking, should I take my life? And he says, then all of a sudden I looked on the ground and I saw a Bible and I picked it up and I opened it and I started to read. He said, that day everything changed for me. We didn't just start thinking this in our generation. This has been an age-old question. Is there something more? Jesus tells us his kingdom in Matthew 6.20 is this. It says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. He says, you know, you can, you can come in to the kingdom and, and I want to give you things that are going to last. And I want to give you myself. I want you to be with me. It's the greatest treasure of all. God's kingdom over my kingdom. So what does it look like to live in the pattern of God's kingdom? You say, well, okay, I, like today I, I get that, but, but what does it look like to say, I want to live in tune with that? I want to live in the pattern of that, if that's what life is really about. Galatians 6 helps us, and so we're going to look at uh, some verses here, and, and we read verses 6 through 10, and, and so today's text is going to help us to live in the patterns of God's kingdom. And so I'm going to give you all three of the patterns up front, and we're going to break it down from the text, and so here's what they are. First is sowing and reaping, showing up, seeing opportunities. Sowing and reaping, showing up, seeing opportunities. The first pattern of the kingdom of God is this, sowing and reaping. So we see, see it specifically in, in, starting in verse seven. And so if you've got your Bibles, we're gonna look at verse seven. Okay, and here's what it says. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So what's he saying here? What are we learning? There's a principle that runs through the fabric of the cosmos. And it's this. It's a farming analogy. First, everyone is sowing. Everyone is sowing. So it's like my daughter yesterday who comes up to me and she says, Daddy, I got this seed. I don't know where she got the seed from. But she comes up and she says, I got this seed. 
Daddy, I want to go outside and I want to go plant it in the pot over there. Okay, so we go outside. She takes the seed. She puts it in the dirt and we cover it up. We leave it there. And, and what the scriptures are saying is this. You say, like, do not be deceived. There is a principle that, that runs throughout God's creation. And it's this, that you are sowing seeds. You're sowing them in different places. You're planting them in, in, everywhere. And eventually, everything that is sown will sprout up. It will sprout up. See, it, it's, it's like it says in Luke eight seventeen. it says, you know, nothing is hidden. That, that everything that we are sowing, like pouring into and putting things into, like they will eventually sprout up in our lives. There's nothing hidden. Oh, yeah, that really doesn't matter, that thing, whatever. That it, uh, it will sprout up at some point. And lastly, it, it eventually will lead to corruption or life. Corruption or life. And here's the promise from the text, that, that God is not mocked. God is not mocked. It should remind us of Jesus' words in Luke 6.25. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. What's Jesus saying? Like, th this word laugh for laugh is gloating, boasting. It it's people who say, God, hold on, you're investing your time with God? What does that look like? So you're, it, 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 it's the now. It's the now kingdom. It doesn't make sense to people. Well, why, why do you do that? What, 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 what? You think about the Titanic, it's this. It's not even God himself could sink this ship. Not even God himself could sink this ship. Many people are putting themselves on that boat and casting themselves out to sea and saying not even God could sink this ship. But what we find is that God is not mocked. You, you can't gloat or boast in front of God because eventually whatever is planted will be reaped. And so the question is, well, okay, if that's the case, then how should we sow? Look at verse eight. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. <clears throat> Here's what he's saying. It's a kingdom principle. So selfishly, so to myself will reap corruption. Basically what he's saying is this, it will, it will lead to perish, ruin, won't last. He says, so to God, and you'll reap life. Vitality. Uh, it talks about that when Jesus says that um, you'll have life and have it to the fullest. You'll have a, a full life in God. It's true life in him. 
And so the question is, are, are we sowing to ourself? And what, what that looks like is this, it's all about me. That's what it looks like to sow to the, the flesh. It's saying, life is all about me, it's all about me. How do I look? What, what, what's going on? How does this benefit me? We sow like that, it'll reap corruption. But then he says to sow to God. So, so when we sow to God, when, when it's all about him, here's what happens. Life. And eventually it will come out. So question is, where are we sowing? Everybody's sowing. How are we sowing? Are we saying, I'm, I'm sowing to myself. It's gonna be all about me. Are we sowing to God, saying, God, it's, it's really all about you. I wanna live this life all about you. This is about you. I'm gonna sow to you. I'm gonna sing, sow to your kingdom. It's not about me. Second is showing up. Another kingdom principle is showing up. Uh, verse nine, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. If we do not give up. So sowing and reaping to God requires patience and care. It's like a farmer, right? The farmer goes out, he waters, he's waiting, he's patient, There are things that the farmer can do and there are things that the farmer can't do. We know this in California. We can't bring the rain, right? It's all dependent on how God works it out. And so the farmer can go out there and he can till and he can work and he can plant seeds and he can do all those things. But it really, in the end, it's God who makes things grow, like it says in Corinthians. And so the encouragement is this. Don't get sloppy. Bring your best. Do things well. Don't give up. This is continually showing up every day and saying, I'm ready. Have you seen a garden that was started and then forgotten about? It's a mess. Again, my kids started a garden in our backyard. <laughs> it started out pretty strong, but then they forgot about it. And the weeds crept in, and it started looking really sloppy. And that's what happens in our life. The same thing can happen in our lives because we just stop showing up. We give up. Started out strong, started, you, had, you had a great race at the beginning, but you really didn't finish at the end. See, the promise is God's gonna do something, but you gotta come, and you gotta show up. And When you sow to God, there will be times of discouragement that make you want to give up. Why, why, did, why did the Apostle Paul have to put this in there? 
Why do you have to tell, tell him, like, okay, keep coming. Don't give up. You're going to reap eventually. Because they wanted to give up. They wanted to say, like, I was saying in my back, am I just wasting people's time? Does this matter? So how do we not give up? Well, number one, it's sticking to God's way. This is about God's way. Doing it God's way. He, he says, you know, doing good. Like, do not grow weary of doing good. What is this? It's prayer. It's hard work. It's learning. It's, it's loving people. It's, it's resilience. It's, it's seeking God's grace and his strength. It's, it's giving all the glory to God. Saying, God, I want to I do this your way. I don't want to do this my way. It's coming to the word and saying, okay, Lord, like you direct my path. You teach me how to live life. Right? Don't a lot of us look for mentors in life? We say, you know, I just wish I had a mentor. Wish I had somebody that could pour into me. But God says, I've been waiting to be your mentor this whole time. You're looking at all these other places, but I want to mentor you. I want to develop you. I want you to learn my way. That's what we see in the life of David, isn't it? He comes, he says, Lord, teach me your ways. Teach me your commands. Like, I want to know them. I want to soak them into my life, and I want to live them out. Os Guinness says, God's work must always be done in God's way to see results that are worthy of God's reality and greatness. You know what a part of giving up is? It's saying, forget God's way. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it my way. It's, it's not waiting on him. And so that, that, that leads us to the second point, which is this. It says, in due season. It's believing in God's timing. Right, so it's saying, God, it's, it's about your way, but it's also believing that, God, you got a, time, you got a specific time. So the, the word that's used here in due season is the word kairos, and it can also be translated the right time. The right time. God's time is always the right time. This is about waiting for his timing. Many times what we want to do is we want to force it. I got to have it my way, and I got to do it on my timeline. But Paul says that's not how it works in God's kingdom. You're sowing to your flesh. You're sowing to yourself. That's not the way of the kingdom. See, right now, pessimism is intensifying in our culture. So many people are giving up. I'm done. The New Yorker wrote an article that said, Doomsday Prep for the Super Rich. Some of the wealthiest people in America in Silicon Valley, New York, and beyond are getting ready for the crack up of civilization. The end is near. Trevin Wax calls this the decline narrative. What he says is we need gospel bearings. We need gospel bearings. Psalm 37 verse 7 says this, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, 
over the man who carries out evil devices. What's it say there? Fret not over the people who are prospering in their way? Over the people who are prospering with evil intentions? Why? Because God has a timing and it's always his timing and he shows up. It's not about just us showing up, but it's the promise that he's going to show up in his timing. See, no matter what our culture looks like, Jesus is still king. Jesus has still risen from the dead. And God is sovereign. He's over all things. As missionary Leslie Newbegin once said, I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. If I were to be a pessimist, I would have thought there's no way that Jesus could have rose from the dead. Right. And isn't that what happened? They came to the tomb and they said, well, it's over. It's done. But what we found is that he's alive. He's alive. See, we're not optimists because you look around and you can be realistic about how this world is messed up. Well, we're just going to be better. Well, you know what? This, this is still, there's a lot of messed up stuff happening in our world. It's not just about being an optimist. Or it's not just about being a pessimist. It's just saying Jesus has risen from the dead. Lord, we're at your command. Help us to keep showing up in the midst of all of the chaos. See, Jesus' resurrection gives us the hope to keep showing up. And lastly, it's this. Seeing opportunities. Look at verse 10. At the beginning it says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. As we have opportunity, let us do good to every, everyone. See, this isn't about having the savior complex. I gotta go do everything and I gotta go save the world. But what it says is that as we have opportunity, as you have the opportunities in your daily life, do good to everyone. Plant seeds, good seeds, everywhere you go. At that opportunity that God gives you. Because just as it says earlier, like in due season, God's gonna sprout something up. At the right timing, he's gonna sprout it up. It also says we have opportunity. When it's the right time, do good. When it's his time, do good. It's about just being faithful and saying, Lord, I'm gonna plant seeds for your kingdom and I'm gonna love people with no strings attached. No matter what they believe, I'm gonna love them and show them Christ. And you know one of the most loving things you can do when it says do good, like we can do good with our hands. And that shares the gospel with people. But we should also be praying and saying, God, when should I speak? When should I share about Jesus with them? What's the right time to do that? I mean, I was even thinking about it this morning as I was sitting next to a guy who I've become friends with at Starbucks at 6 a.m. I see him every week. We've become friends. 
I said, man, I, I love them. I, want, I encourage them every time I see them in there. But I say, when's the right time for me to share with them about Jesus? When's that time? Lord, I'll wait on that time. You tell me when it is, and I'll share with them. Because I want them to know Jesus. Because I know that this world is temporary. It will not last. But I want to share with him about something that will last. It's looking for the right time and the opportunity. Say, do good for, to everyone. But it also says this, verse 10, the second part says, especially those who are of the household of faith. Like, if we can't love people in here, how are we going to go love people out there? If we can't love one another, because that's what Jesus says, right? He says, you'll know that they're my people by the way that they love one another. If we can't do that in here, why are we trying to export that out there? He says it, it, it's, it's faithfully coming together and saying we need each other. We can't do this alone. It's linking arms and saying, okay, let's, let's see opportunities together. Let's see that this is a collaborative effort. It's not just one person going out there trying to be Jesus to the world. It's all of us. That's the way of the kingdom. It's just faithfully planting seeds everywhere we go together, saying, God, we believe that you're going to grow them. You're going to grow them. Do you see the kingdom opportunities all around you? So real quickly, here's, here's where we're going to end. How do we live with a kingdom mindset? I'm going to fly through these. Um, and so I hope these are helpful. The first one is this. Seek over settle. Seek over settle. Are you passionately seeking God's kingdom and his will? Because Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added to you. What he's talking about is people who are bent out of shape, worried about everything that's going on in the world, and he's saying, seek my kingdom first. Like, you don't know where the finances are coming from. You don't know where you're going to get these clothes from. You don't know what's going to happen. Here's where you're going to settle down. Seek first his kingdom. Look to Christ. And then all these things will be added to you. The things that you need, I'll give you. So let me ask. Are you seeking? Or are you settling? Are you settling for the way things are right around you right now? Do you think... Oh, it's just never going to change. Things around me just aren't going to change and we just bring on this pessimistic attitude. Well, this is just how I am. Just how things are. Just how my workplace is. It'll never change. That's settling. That's not the way, the pattern of the kingdom. The kingdom is seeking Saying, okay, God, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to seek you, and I'm going to ask, okay, Lord, change the things around me right now. Help me to be a catalyst for the kingdom to be here, right here, on earth as it is in heaven. I want to be a kingdom person. I want to believe that there's something better. 
Where do you start? Pray? Pray. It starts with saying, God, give me a vision to see things better than what I see them right now. God, I pray that you will make all things new around me because I don't know how it's gonna happen. There's so many places in our hearts where we've settled. And as kingdom people, we need to come to the king and say, I'm gonna seek you with everything I've got and just ask that you change the things around me that I know aren't right and know, I know that they're not the way they should be. I want it to be your way, Lord. Help me to seek you. Next one is deep over shallow. This is about rooting yourself somewhere with people and saying, you know what? I'm here. This is different from the way that our culture exists right now because right now, globalization has happened and we become so transient. We uproot at any moment. Globalization is great. It's made the world so much smaller. We can interact with people. But what it's done is we've, we've settled for this excuse. Here's what this, the excuse is. It's, well, I'm not gonna be here that long, so why invest? Why invest in anything? And then what we do is we waste kingdom opportunities that are right in front of us. The Lord's like, here's all these opportunities, right, that, 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 that were meant for you. I said, well, I don't know if I want to invest there. And we invest to the flesh rather than to the spirit. See, shallow roots will produce shallow people. So here's my encouragement. Be present where God has placed you and ask him to deepen you. Say, I don't want to be a shallow person. The thing I've realized is, is Christ has worked more and more in my life is this, that he's made me more authentic with who I am and honest. It's something from him. He's deepened me as a person. And he wants to do that in your life as well. You see, there is a seriousness in the kingdom of God about the place, time, season that God's placed you. Acts 17, 26 says this, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on, on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Think about this, like God has set you here for a purpose. Being deep isn't about instant gratification. It flies in the face of that. It's about being willing to say, Jesus, I'm here, plant me. Plant me here, root me here. Next one is contribute over consume. Contribute over consume. In the book, God is Back, the authors describe the state of the American church as the Disneyfication of God, or Christian light, a bland and sanitized faith that is about as dramatic as the average shopping mall. Believers who think like customers contribute to the underachieving church in America is what they say. Now, it's harsh, but they're right. It's true. The church is not a shopping mall. The church 
is kingdom people who are willing to lay down everything because Jesus laid down everything for us. That's it. And saying, okay, Jesus, it's all about you. I'm not here just to, like, it's good. Like, you can take things in. Like, we can be like, oh, yeah, that's good. But, like, our main thing is, like, how can I contribute to being a part of the kingdom of God? Because what it says earlier, he says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. What he's saying is this, that it's not just about the one who teaches. It's about sharing all good things that you've got, saying we're a family. How can you share your gifts, talents, finances for the kingdom of God? Share them so that the gospel is advanced. The kingdom is advanced. It's about contributing. And then the last one is this, kingdom over castle. Here's the one thing I know. We are not the only church in our city. And I praise God for that. I praise God for that. I want to show real quickly a picture. Um, This is a picture of some of the men who received me when I told them that we were planting a church here in UTC. And these are men who love Jesus. And they accepted me with open arms. And I will never forget that. And every month, we pray together. We say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The way that Jesus defines the church is he says there's the church in the world. There's really, in the end, only one church. It's his. And here's the deal. When it comes to Grace City Church, we are a non-denominational church. We preach the word of God. We are Christians only, but we're not the only Christians. Do you hear me on that? Christians only, but not the only Christians. And we believe in Jesus Christ, and I am thankful that we are not here to build a castle. You know what a castle is? It's a brand. It's a brand, and, and, and we're a part of actually something, a, a, a church planting movement that's in San Diego here and that people said, I want to see a church planted, even more churches planted in San Diego. So it started with a vision from my friend Chris. God spoke and said, hey, we want to see this happen. Momentum Christian Church, Rise City Church, now, Risen Church is going to be in Scripps Ranch area. The gospel's expanding, friends. It's about the kingdom. The kingdom's a lot bigger than what we see. We need to advance the kingdom together and say, okay, Lord, teach us how this looks. Teach us how this looks. Here's what I want to end with. You know, you, you look at this, and, and I want you to imagine that this extends all the way this way and all the way this way. Eternity past, eternity present into the future, and this is your life. That's it. You only get one of these. Like, this is your life. 
And you can say, okay, I know that there's eternity going that way and eternity going that way, but I just want to invest in this little kingdom right here. But what we find in the gospel is this, that the king of eternity past, eternity future, the alpha and the omega says, I'm gonna come in here. I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna teach you about eternity. And I'm gonna live the perfect life and die in your place and raise from the dead so that you can see a kingdom that's bigger than your own. And he did it. And he did it. And he says, I want to give you all of this. I want to give it to you. That's the kingdom of God. He says, will you just live for this? Or will you start investing in this? He came. The gospel is that the king came down for us. So now we can invest in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your kingdom, for your glory, for your sake, for who you are and the gospel truth of today. And I pray that God, because of what you've done, will be forever grateful and just thank the king. Thank him, love him, and be willing to die for him so that we can see the glory of God shine through our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.